Yes, yes, this is Jam Baxter. Fetch the Poison is out now. Going out on a tour called A Tour in February. And uh, here I am talking for a while to loop on the Fly Fidelity podcast about the whole shit. First I say, what, what we're gonna, gonna do. do. Then, then you, you say, say, I don't know. What do you want to do? What we're gonna do, what you want to do. I have an idea. You're gonna dig this. The Fly Fidelity podcast is, is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You wanna get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. <laughs> What's going on and welcome to our latest episode which features a deep dive conversation with Blah Records' Jam Baxter. We'll be talking about his latest album, Fetch the Poison, which was created in Mexico during the lockdown amid a statewide alcohol ban. Join us for a conversation about its making, inspiration, writing and recording and everything between. Enjoy the conversation. Yeah, it lies the kids. Hold down her stuff from the bright and shiny things. Silhouettes and wetsuits dive inside their skins. But her all shrunk them and I hide behind your shins. Flames lick round them, faces molded out of crack and cold. The tattoos on their knuckles, red stop, drop, rap and roll. Death drunken hand just picked your name from a salad bowl. Your gods are playing whack a mole. Bless your beard. How does it feel being back in the UK for the first time in 18 months as of last week? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in I was in really rural part of Spain for like eight or nine months and then went to Mexico for about 10. But yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of strange because obviously mid-January is the weirdest time of year, especially in England, isn't it? We're, middle of January is kind of like New Year's hype has died down. It's still real cold, still gets dark at four. And I'm waking up at like four in the afternoon thinking it's 10 a.m. just in the in the darkness in in London. But it's all right, you know, it's all right. It's not that too, it's not too surreal. Well, you see, it's not too surreal added to the fact of all the reasons you see it's weird being in the UK at this time. You're also coming back on the heels of us coming out with a pandemic. How does that feel? Uh, I'm not going to lie, that is very surreal and it is real strange because literally my only experience of like London pandemic was a month in 2020, in August. Literally, I've just been in the UK for one month out of the last two years. So obviously my experience of the pandemic was basically Mexico, which is very much a kind of like chaotic um, Wild West type situation. And then rural Spain, like where I was living, admittedly in Spain, it was quite, it was pretty hardcore at times. But where I was living, it really didn't, really didn't touch us, like the actual like hysteria or the effects of it. And then obviously back to Mexico and then so this is like my first real experience with like the real like the real hysteria the real serious nature of the whole right. thing just got back to like a whirlwind of like texts from the NHS and emails and obligatory testing and contract tracing forms and all that kind of shit I was like I've n- I haven't actually experienced any of this I've sidestepped all of it so it's kind of crazy which is wild when you think about it knowing how big of a scale this has been happening on right 
Uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like, I don't want to sound smug or anything. I kind of feel like I played it. I played it pretty well. <laughs> like, everything just kind of seemed to fall in place for me. I literally, I left February of 2020 when there's a couple of news articles about, but nothing, no one really thought it was going to be anything to talk about. And then by March, shit all just popped off. And then ever since then, I've been out of the country apart from, yeah, just a month in August 2020. Talk about going from a place as populated as London to writing this album in isolation in Mexico before the pandemic even begins. Fetch the Poison is the name of the album, of course. It's available now on all streaming platforms. What would have been the starting point going into this project for you? The starting point was... Well, I was in February of 2020, just before I left. I just finished the Off Peace tour, and I had... uh, I had this flight to Mexico books and I just had it in my head. I really was ready to do some real, like to sit down and do some real writing in, in a real concentrated way. Like um, just pack it all quite densely into a few months. And then it all just kind of fell into my hands quite nicely. I left, I left London with like, the only thing I had recorded when I left London was the hook on track two that Naito does. And, um, in like a studio session just before I left for Mexico, she put that hook down. And I had a couple of beats that I was fucking with as well, but really that was it. I just had like, yeah, that hook, a couple of beats and just, um, and a lot of like pent up ideas to write about. So as soon as I got to Mexico and kind of got out of Mexico City and started moving around a bit, I just, it all just, um, it all started from there really. This is a rejuvenated Jam Baxter we're hearing on this album. I feel this is some of your best material to date. We were having a conversation about that the other day. How do you feel about the concept of traveling as an artistic currency has helped to elevate your craft and perspective with this project? Um, I mean, with a lot of projects, to be honest, a lot of the past projects have definitely been informed by the places I've been in the world when I've been writing them, but... I find it a lot easier to write about, um, you know, the darker side of London and and um, and a lot more of the themes that come up in in, in my writing. I, I find it easier to do that from a vantage point of being somewhere quite beautiful and somewhere quite far removed from everything. It gives you a whole new way of like I don't know, like looking back on shit and and making sense of it in a way you can't really do when you're in the middle of it, you know. So, um, but then. I don't really like so much upheaval when I'm writing either. So I like to just find the spot and then just stay in the spot, really. If I'm like going from place to place and, you know, moving around, I don't do that whole, uh, I don't do the backpacking thing. I've got well, a big suitcase and it's on wheels and I pitch up and I stay somewhere for a while. So, Do you feel like you're an outsider? Um, no, man. No, I don't really. I mean, it helps that like um, my Spanish was kind of at a decent level before I, before before I went there, I had, um, you know, I had a few links because I mean, I've got I've got a lot of friends that have moved around a lot in the world, and you know, you're never more than a couple phone calls away from just like a good link in a city, and um, and like, you know, I you know I, thought, I met a guy, a director, I filmed a couple of videos with him, started hanging out with his friends, like, you know, met a few people, and then like. You know, it doesn't take long before you've got a little, got a little gang wherever you are, and then like, and obviously if you can kind of like, if you can speak the language, especially like in Mexico as well, there's like a lot of cultural crossover, like a, a really large, like really big 
cultural crossover there because they got like a got a massive like um rap scene, loads of hip hop, loads of reggaeton, loads of like you know, loads of graffiti, loads of like like loads of the culture is there. It's just um Dumb. it's just their own take on it. So you never really feel like an outsider or isolated. I mean there have been parts of Asia I've been to where I've kind of felt a lot more like it's been a lot more confusing, kind of ingratiating and, and, and feeling like a part of the fabric of the country. But in Mexico, that really wasn't the case. There's a whole crew of shit, red mountain, a scream mercy. I was cuffed out of the waves with a case of extreme scurvy. I cannot save your baby, I'm late for my free 30. I sat there in the waiting room shaking a week early. Sat between monsters and buckling grey pillars. So gusset magazines, disease and deranged killers. Some elderly war veterans, pigs with inflamed livers. A couple perverted priests and scores of depraved sinners. Well, let's speak about Mexico. Can you speak to the rite of passage that navigating as an artist in Mexico was giving you? that you couldn't necessarily experience in the UK? Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't say... I mean, I wasn't playing shows in Mexico. I was playing. I played a few shows in Colombia. Um, but I, like... I was mainly just, like, hanging out with the heads I knew there and, and shooting videos. And it was only towards the end of this trip, like, in the last couple of months, I started, like, really linking with a couple of reggaeton artists and, like, a couple of producers from there and finding studios and... I was really kind of at a point just before I left and came back here where I was like, oh, no, I could really, um, you know, I don't really, I don't really need to go back to the UK to record. I've got the studios, I've got like a bunch of people to collaborate with, but I wouldn't say I've been through a rite of passage as an artist in Mexico. I just kind of like lived there for like, you know, best part of two years. What about living in different parts of the world outside of Mexico? How does your time living in South of Spain for five years, how does that compare to your experience of being in Mexico? And, and what are some of those biggest differences between such, you know, vastly different places? Um, it's like, it could be more different just because of the situations I was in. So like in, in the spot in the South of Spain I was at, I moved out there to live like with um with Mr. Key, contact play. He lived uh, lives on this big piece of land uh, that my friend Laura owns, and that's in um that's in the Alpujarras in the south of Spain near Granada, and that lifestyle is so rural. It's like ultra kind of like clean living. Obviously, we get on the wave every now and again, but it's like you know that was like working on the land, like you know planting the vegetables and like building struck we built like a whole recording studio out there and the day-to-day -day was like so just quiet and just like real quiet real blissful just like like very very natural river running through the land like loads of um loads of trees birds everywhere and mexico is obviously mexico man mexico is um mexico is insanity at times like, i lived in um i lived mainly between San Cristobal in, uh, in the mountains in Chiapas and Mexico City. And San Cristobal is pretty small and sleepy. That's where I wrote all of Fetch the Poison was there in 2020. But uh, this year I lived in Mexico City for a long time. And Mexico City is is chaos. But it's like the it's the perfect kind of chaos for me. I need a little bit of chaos really. And um and I found my little corner of it and yeah, I got myself a nice apartment and I just like just, just felt at home after a while quite quickly actually. Well, speaking of chaos, it's interesting you mentioned chaos because you've come a long way since the Mansion 38 days, which of course were some of the craziest days for you as an artist, right? 
Do yeah, you right. still find as much creativity relaxing into certain amounts of chaos when you're writing? Yeah, I mean, I do. I find that I find I have real, real good ideas when I'm in some very like strange, strange states. But I can never really articulate them and cement them properly. They're all just these kind of wild ideas, and I find all these crazy notes I've written myself, like these weird little scraps of paper. Some of them make sense the next day, and some of them don't. But I mean, I realized quite a long time ago that to write, to write at the capacity that I want to write at, you know, I need to be very level-headed and very composed and write like you know during the, the day times like when I'm fresh and just like yeah in order to in order to get what I want to get out of myself I actually I, I need to be very much like in that more composed level-headed state now I can write a verse when I'm waved obviously I can get wasted and sit in the studio and write a verse but I'll let certain shit slide when I write then and kind of um not really have the quality control or the time to really think about shit um and i can do that but i won't it won't be something that i'll look back on and be like yeah that is that's fine that's what i'm capable of you know right right is this the first time you've written an album in its entirety being sober uh no i would say so we ate them whole was written on the most part sober because during the during the time i was eating writing so we ate them whole um I had like a real bad bone infection. I'd broken my arm. I was like, I'd been in hospital for quite some time and I had um, metal in my arm that then needed to be taken out. There's a, there's a tune on that album about it called 28 Staples. And um, so that most of that album was written in the aftermath of that. And aside from some kind of the occasional opiate-based painkillers, I was very much like, very much sober and on the level then, because I had to be, because it was kind of one of those situations where it was like, this could either get worse or it could get a whole lot better. So, so Wait Them Whole was written in that state, but over a much longer period of time, I'd say maybe like a, a year or something. But this one was literally like three months, man. An old man sits on a wet park bench with a bag full of snake meat feeding the birds. A fat little child in a high chair slurps at a soup spoon eating his words. A plump wife cheese on a shark fin draped in a premium furs And I was out front trying to doubt some impression on set him on fire without seeming disturbing The rats in the dry will creep by Submerge us in bourbon when we die. Well you strike me as the type of artist that restores yourself when you're away from people and in your writing How much of your writing process is reliant on writing in isolation? Um, well yeah, I mean when I write my solo shit I like to be on my, on my ones for sure I mean... I've ne- like unless I'm writing a song with another rapper, I don't really like to be in the room with other, other people. And then, um, yeah, I think that I think that the isolation does definitely help because everything. As soon as you're away from everything for a few days, like all of the kind of um, all of the kind of weird shit you've been thinking about for the last few months, but haven't really given the time of day to really like solidify and unravel itself just starts to do so naturally. You know, if you're just kind of spend a lot of time with yourself, just kind of strolling around. 
then um naturally like everything just kind of like settles into these like neatly digestible layers in your mind that you can just um mm. make a lot more sense of. if everything's just a massive scramble the whole time it takes a few days for that to that to kind of like calm itself down you know so that the isolation it wasn't complete isolation you know there's people around in the town and that but largely like day to day it was and uh and I think that was definitely important it allows me to get lost in the in in the world that I'm writing in as well like you know allows me to kind of um just live in that for like you know however many months uninterrupted it's easier just settle in a nice pattern would you go as far to say that your best progress has been made in isolation without public eyes on you? Yeah, I think so, you know. I think so, because with this album especially, like, um, I didn't really have a release date in mind. I was just like, I'm going to write until I've got, until I haven't really got much else left to say. That might be after, like, five tunes, ten tunes, twenty tunes, whatever. But I was just like didn't really have much much pressure and like I knew what I wanted to do and I could just you know once I settled into it it was like uh it was fine and I just and I really enjoyed like um I really enjoyed the like in a weird way I really enjoyed that it was the 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 height of the pandemic at the time because in Chiapas there was no like hysteria but the the whole town was kind of empty and there was no real like like normally like in 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 normally like uh I feel a kind of like pressure to like go out and do shit and socialize and see people and it's like after a few days just in isolation writing you're like oh fuck I should really go out and do some shit now and like see the world and like chat to some people but this was really like the perfect excuse to not do that like I didn't I didn't have to and in fact it was like frowned upon to do so so I was just like it was kind of a weird blessing in a way. I was just like, ah, oh, there's no pressure to go out, see anyone, do anything, and I can actually spend every day doing what I love and not feel like I have to, um, you know, um, perform for anyone or like, or, or do any, or like do any of the other sides of the whole shit apart from, apart from just the writing, the rapping side. Like, there's, I didn't have to like, pander to the other to the other side of the whole thing I could just do what I wanted so would you say in any way that the community in Mexico reinvented you and shaped the direction of these lyrics on this project what was pushing you to write some of these songs on this project was that in any way shaped by the Mexican community um I mean it definitely was a lot of like references and like a lot of the moods and the atmospheres kind of filtered their way onto the into the bars when I'm writing depending on where I am and um generally there's a kind of there's a warmth and an openness to the to to a lot of people there that is kind of really really like refreshing they kind of they're incredibly accepting of people and they're um and they also very much know how to have a good time and uh and you know the music the colors are incredible as well like i'm very much um all about colors especially in relation to music and being around being in towns that have kind of like these amazing oranges and yellows and reds mm. and like black bright blue sky and all that stuff it kind of really does um it's a lot more of an inspiring recipe than just grayness can be for me a lot of the time but i mean but to be honest like you know the themes and the subject matter on this album is kind of like it's not very much of a departure from stuff that i've done in the past but it's a right. kind of different 
different take on it. But um, yeah, I would say that just yeah, a lot of the a lot of the themes are just kind of like quite just dark, like city undercurrents, which is kind of what I've always done. What, yeah, and um, and yeah, just like Mexico is just the perfect backdrop to just write that. You know, like renewed, like much more, like it's just a uh, composed way, yeah. City on the sea, bro. this is what you fought for Body like a blue flame, flickers on the fourth floor Feeling in your bloodstream, dripping from the meat hooks Stare out of the keyhole, tell me how the street looks Rub it in the red light, maggot on the creep creep Polish every skin cell, sell them on the cheap cheap Giant in the silk tie, shine off his war wounds Pull each other's tongues out, bleeding in the boardroom Screaming with the mouths full, belly full of freebies Terrifying fortune, written in the tears Vision on the rooftop, sogging all the high ground You just fill my glass up, tell me when it's my round Sent over the bang crowd, simmer down, stand back, give him space Sped off with a case of red and off the city giving chase Turned up, unscathed, with every hair still in place And handed you a shiny sign picture with his Going back to these colours you're inspired by, which is interesting you mentioning because I'm always wondering as to whether or not you find more creativity in exploring the darker colours versus the lighter colours. Do you have a preference over one or the other? Um, well, it's more just like, um, you know, I know, I know bare artists are always like, I've got synesthesia, I see music as colours and whatever, but like, I, it is actually a thing that like, I can tell you exactly what colour like every... um every song I've ever made is every every time I hear a beat I can tell you what color it is for me personally and so it's quite an interesting way like when I put albums together sometimes I'm like yeah I need some more like earthy tones on this one or I need some more like some more of them like ghost town like neon greens or like fucking and just kind of group things together based on that and I kind of like work out the the, the running order of, of albums in that way but um yeah, but the the lyrics themselves, they um, I wouldn't say that they have that they have colours for me on their own. They just kind of it's just the songs themselves. There's moments on this project where you reference religion and God with what feels like a very researched album in terms of religion in Mexico. I know you're not religious, but can you speak to how spirituality has given you a space to research your own life? Um, well, I mean, Mexico is definitely is it's, it's very 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 religious country, very, um, you know, a lot of Christianity, a lot of Catholicism. And, um, but then also kind of weirdly in some areas mixed into a lot of kind of, um, more traditional witchcraft, like Santeria magic and stuff. I mean, there's this church near San Cristobal where, um, they have effigies of like, of like many Catholic saints. And, um, but then people perform these rituals in front of them where they where they like tear their heads off live chickens and like um and pluck them in front of these effigies while burning like hundreds of hundreds of candles in front of them and it's this kind of like weird mixture of kind of this squeaky clean like christian catholicism with a kind of like the the more kind of um to know the more kind of primal like you know, pre-colonial religious um, religious rituals they used to do, and that's kind of sites like that are very very powerful, and they kind of um, 
they give you a renewed perspective on what kind of organized religion is and 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 all of that and it's, it's a theme I, I do definitely like to write about it a lot i like to invoke like gods i like to invoke people's obsessions with their own gods with their own personal mm. god and kind of like the way that you know um the way that people kind of like hold their lives up to these deities and place them in the place them under the care of these deities and whatnot i've always found it really um interesting and fascinating having not having it not been something that has kind of been a part of my life uh, in any kind of formal strict form it's kind of just um it's it's surreal i like just like you know i like i like looking at these things and observing and observing them and just being like wow that is crazy like i can just i'm just gonna weave that into a, a bar somewhere just kind of like when you're talking about the kind of chaotic nature of modern society and and um and uh the way that the world has developed you can't really talk about that without talking about religion you know it's been like so integral to the entire development of the of the world organized religion it really has in religion, religion and uh, you know i've got my own i'm not complete like you know atheist like science science like kind of kind of guy but um you know i've got my own personalized understanding of religion and spirituality as it means to me but it doesn't really fit it doesn't really fit into one of the kind of like you know pre-made little boxes that you can just um slot yourself into so i just kind of get on with that but i quite yeah i, I like to um i like to toy with those ideas and i like this good little it's a good little metaphorical landscape to work with the kind of like religious like the heavens the underworld you know it's like um it's, nice little me metaphorical landscape to fuck around with and and um you know play with ideas of how people make sense of the world well speaking of religion i was impressed with the imagery in the videos for blood red cheese wire and salsa valentina both of which have this real air of authenticity with the references we're seeing around mexican religion what could you tell me about those videos specifically uh that was shot in um that was all in mexico city so that's with this uh director yahia lobo and it was the first video we made together and um yeah like uh, some of it was shot in reforma and in the set in central and then we shot quite a lot in front of the santa muerte um shrine in in tapito tapito is actually one of well tapito is the area of mexico city that you don't you don't really want to go it's not um it's not really the place to be unless you know someone there. Luckily, yeah, here's the film videos from for this other rapper from Tapito. He's like, they're good friends now. So he came, came, and, came and met us outside and took us in. And it's very much a side of Mexico City that um, I guess you don't see normally unless you go to the Lagunilla. It's a big, big flea market on the Sunday. But um, yeah, we were kind of there after dark. And it's a very like, you know, you get the get a very strong impression that it's quite a dark place in a lot of ways but there is a very strong community vibe to it it's like everyone would kind of stop and look at us and realize we were filming and then they'd see Hoz there and be like oh, okay they're with him so you got a pass <laughs> yeah yeah we've, we've we've fully got the pass so yeah big ups to Hoz for that and um absolutely yeah I was just like I'm really interested in the whole Santa Muerte thing Santa Muerte is uh is a deity that the narcos uh, and and uh, the criminal underbelly of mexico kind of worship they kind of uh, right. they put their they put their criminal endeavors into her hands and offer her various offerings and pray to her in um 
in uh, in an attempt to not get caught, or get caught, or get shot, basically. So um, it's like it's a really interesting history to it, and the kind of offerings you kind of like you give her offerings of like tequila and like you know apples. Apparently, she really likes apples, and just like really? you know keep keep yeah keep the candles lit in front of us. Yeah, in that video, there's like you know. There's, the placing of the apples in the shrine. You've got to keep fresh apples in there at all times. And like people were walking past the shrine while we were filming and then stopping to just put a hand on the glass and just pray for a little while. And it is quite um it's quite powerful. Like you see the kind of uh you see the intensity in these people's eyes when they're when they're praying to her and it's it's like it's some it's some some crazy shit. I mean I was kind of like I I was talking to my friend Alex before like before I went to shoot that video, I was like, I'm going to be shooting at the Santa Muerte shrine in Tapio. He was like, you fucking insane. Like, what are you doing? That's crazy. And then um, I was like, no, it's all right. We've got, we've got someone to go with. It's all blessed. And then mm. he was just basically like, if the local people there, like, because I was like, I don't want to see, seem like I'm just turning up to film in front of it. Like, I don't know shit. And like, I'm just like making like a mockery of the whole thing. So, and he was like, just like, Bring like bring a bunch of apples, bring some tequila. May your offering. If the people see you venerating a deity, they're not gonna fuck with you when you're then filming in front of it. So um That was that was his recommendation. That was his advice to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just kinda like, you know, just like if you if you venerate if you venerate Santa Muerte, you can then film a rap video in front of Santa Muerte and it's blessed because um You have an authenticity doing what you're doing. Yeah, of course. You don't want to just be that guy that just rolls up. Exploiting like, oh, it, right. Like, yeah, I'm from, I'm from England. I'm just going to film in this because it's like a, a skeleton and it looks real cool. It's like, no, I find the whole thing fascinating. I've like read up on about, about it quite a lot and really want to put it in my video. It's like, because uh, it's, an, it's, it's an incredibly interesting part of like the, the culture there. The, um, the, the culture as well of the fucking... The, the kind of seedy like, underbelly of the whole of the, of city life in Mexico, which is something that is like run through my work for like for for years and years. Just that whole underside of things, you know, where you peel shit away. Like, you know, I got a friend that you know I've been been stopped on stopped at some checkpoints every now and again, and like you know, they just want to see like who's in who's in the van, who's in the truck, like who's right. there. Like, you know poke around like little show of force and whatever but um in general they're just basically in in mexico there are states you go to and there are some states you don't go to and there are some areas you go to and there are some areas you don't go and in mexico city those areas can literally be two blocks apart you know you can turn you can turn a corner like two blocks down the road and uh it's just um, it's a bit more of a peak place to be. But um, it's just with a little bit of knowledge of where to go and where not to go, like, it's you're blessed. And to be honest, like, a lot of those places that people, like, hype up and say, oh, don't go there, it's fucking crazy. Like, you mm. know, go to some of these places and you're like, this is all right, you know, it's fine. But, you know, it's just if you're unlucky enough to be there when, when some shit happens, then you you'd say, say some different things. But, you know. Are you, do you have any plans to go back out there? Yeah, I'll do that shit, yeah. yeah. I was going to go back to Colombia at the end of uh, end of March. Yeah, the current plan is to go back to Colombia at the end of March and then go back to Mexico after that for a while. Because like I said, I mean, there's, there's, there's a little corner of Mexico City that I found that really felt like home. And um, there's a lot of places in the world that kind of feel like home to me. But that, that really felt like I... 
I could spend a lot more time there and um, put throw a few more roots down there. Going back to Blood Red Cheese Wire, mm-hmm. the tracks produced by Forrest DLG, yeah, formerly known as Chemo. Yeah. Has Chemo retiring his name and going through what he's described as a micro-rebirth, has that inspired you in any way with this album? Nah, you know what? When he was sending me beats for this album, he was still Chemo. Okay. I think the first DOG happened uh, like earlier last year. But this was all like 2020. Um, no, nah, man. Me and him have always worked real well together. Yeah. And I just I had a couple of beats from him when I went out. But then when he realised that I was in writing mode when I was in San Cristobal and I was like, I'm just, I'm doing this all day, every day. So I couldn't get like an off beat. So I'd finish writing to like some new one he made and I'd be like, I'm, I'm ready for the next one now. So I ended up like writing, like starting writing bits and pieces to like other instrumentals, just random instrumentals. And then like, and then like sending him those instrumentals and being like, this is the tempo I'm writing at. And then he'd just fling me a next beat and, uh, once we started, we were going back and forth in um, in San Cristobal. Some of the some of my favorite tunes on the album started to take shape then, because kind of he realized that like like I, I needed that like you know every few days I was gonna finish something and want something else. So he kind of like um, there was a little spike in his production in that at that point because I was just like on his case the whole time. His contribution is incredible. Yeah, man, it's fire, stoked so fire. Like blood red cheese while I bind my ankles Like children roasting my eyes on gurgling candles Like whiplash, like a tongue wrapped tightly in brambles She buried that life in the mud that we found her at 2am digging up handfuls Dressed in a crumpled collection of front page scandals Tug one ringlet of hair and her lips flash green and her face untangles You do your makeup and order an eighth and the devil still cancels I need your help like poison darts flung from all angles I need his opinion, like brown rats in my windpipe brawling. Like 25 texts from a psychotic ex Yeah, I mean, me and Kimo, well, me and Forrest DLG, we've worked together, well, ever since, yeah, 2013, 2012, maybe even. And he has a very, very good idea of, like, obviously of what I do, what I write about, the kind of beats that I'll go for, because, you know, over the years he sent me, like, however many batches of beats and he knows the kind of ones that I'll pick. So he'll just kind of make things with me in mind. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of, a lot of minor chords, a lot of kind of like darkness, a lot of kind of um, intricate percussion that can kind of like, kind of lets you do some crazy flows sometimes. And he knows with me as well that like tempo isn't really like an obstacle. You know, I can, he can send me something at 80, he can send me something at 120, he can send me something at 150. So he's kind of free to just do whatever in terms of tempo and then just um, and fuck around more with like the, the atmosphere. And like he knows the kind of atmosphere I like to create in my records. So it's just kind of over the years, it's got quite, it's got quite easy. And then obviously there's, Ghost Town, who has only got one joint on this project, but um, you know, I've worked with him on like Dead Players, Laminated Cakes, and like a lot of lot of other like tunes or touching scenes and, and whatnot. And um he's just like he's just like one of my best friends in the whole world. Like is is like we laugh at the exact same shit and um 
And like, it's just more, and he's just incredibly talented. And he's less like, he's not like making beats with like, he does make beats with me and mine sometimes, but he's more just doing his thing. And he'll just send me everything he does. Just even if it's not like, ah, oh, you should rap on this or whatever. He just sends me everything he does just because he sends me it. And he's like, ah, oh, check this out. Ah, oh, check this out. I made this today, blah, blah, blah. Even if it's just like a skeleton of an idea. And so they just kind of stick occasionally. And I just, I love working with him because he's just like incredibly talented. And he's also just like, he's just, yeah, he's my guy. I just hooked him up with this reggaeton guy. I've been work. I was working with in Mexico, Mexico City. Actually, they're making some fire together. It's like their this production just kind of like slots can just slot into these things. You can just like you can do some like real like weird like abstract like rap shit on them, or you can fucking get a seventeen-year-old kid from Mexico City to croon in auto tune over the top of it, and it will still sound fire. Like it's fucking crazy. What about Jack Dance? How do you think Jack Dance has stretched you as an artist with these three joints he's produced on this album? Yeah, man. I mean, they're they're kind of like some of my favourites on the album, basically. And and when I kind of I needed like um an extra little something on this album, and then I was speaking to Lee, and I was like, I'm I really need beats right now, and he was like, hit up hit up Jack Dance. And obviously, I've known Jack Dance for time, but um. You know, he wasn't in my like immediate list of people to hit up, but then like the first batch he sent me just had that um that flickers on the fourth floor beat in it and the blink twice for yes beat on it. Right. And um the go on one came a little bit later. But that just kind of like um gave me an opportunity to just kind of revisit that kind of um just dark, just more like boom bapish like rap shit that I have that. I've always loved writing that shit. Like I haven't like moved away from it. Like it's kind of, you know, some of the darker sides of like gruesome features and that have that have that vibe on it. And like those beats really kind of let me like uh, just let loose. For you. I have to th- like I, th- I don't have to think so much. You know, when Kimo sends me a beat that's like you know one twenty one twenty five and it's got this kind of crazy break on it that just kind of like, you know, all the like all the drums dropping these weird places. I have to figure out the flow for a while and I have to figure out what will work and I have to kind of like tie that in with like saying all the shit that I want to say but with with beats like um those Jack Dan's beats like all of that side you don't have to think about it. you're free to just like write and just write bars you know he's just like uh those beats just give me the freedom to just sit and I could write to one of those beats all day every day I don't have to think about how to do it or like kind of work out how to switch the flows I know them all already so it's like it's it's um that was a real blessing those um those three joints definitely um rounded off the whole project for me there was just like got to a point where I was like oh it's missing something and I was like yeah it's missing this that is what it's missing so yeah it was fun man I'm I'm gonna work with the guy a lot more man for sure Yes, 
search the bus. Skin tight, he's twisted. Drag drop the sewers. Drip dried and twist. Let the darkness massage us. Midnight's caress. So we still having fun. Blink twice for yes. We fought tooth for nail for the final slug of gin. The murky pools of reason in my eyes were running thin. I just noticed through the front door, it's final coming in. I was drifting into madness on the tiny rubber ring. My dreams were all huddled on the fire escape, sneaking bumps. My head was in the desert with its 80 children eating brunch. The bars through slipped on a fresh pair of steaming drunks. They greeted every person like a son they hadn't seen in months. On the knife edge, we chewed the fat with it. I was kind of real ready for this when it when it happened, cause I was, um, you know, I wrote a couple of little bits in uh, on the way down the country towards Chiapas. Like the first couple songs I wrote didn't make the album. And then like uh, I wrote that Naito tune before I got to San Cristobal. But um, once I got there and then like, you know, I was kind of the, the, the city was still open a little bit. But then they shut everything down. The whole city was like the whole center of the city was just completely empty pretty much apart from a few people like wandering around buying vegetables and that and um uh and also then they they instituted like a a statewide alcohol ban so i was like Crazy. you know i really love the way um mexicans drink i really love Mex the choice mexicans choice of drinks I love mezcal. I love tequila. It's a very, very energetic and um, uh, and and homely booze. So like, I was kind of casually just sipping tequila while I went while I went about my business uh, in Mexico for you know the first while. But then they had the statewide statewide ban, and it's like you know I'm a resourceful guy. You know, if I if I really wanted to find the, like a, the the plug <laughs> for booze, like that, like I could fucking you know chat to some people, get a little under-the-counter thing going on or whatever, because there's no shortage of booze and there's no shortage of shops. But <laughs> that was kind of like, for me, it was like, I was like, this, like, it's not like a sign, but it's like, I was like, this is like, I could really actually do with a break right now. So I'm just going to embrace it. I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to be like, all right, cool, you ban this shit. So I'm banned, isn't it, for as long, for as, long as it goes. Because <laughs> I'm not banned. And then like that, and uh, and that was like, it was just, it was crazy. It took me like, you know, a few a few days to adjust, never more than a few days. But then like, you know, start getting up earlier and earlier, making more and more exotic movies and shit, like more and more energy in that. And it's like, one of my favorite things about this album is that um, like I remember exactly where I was, what was happening and and um like what i'd just done before and after when i when i wrote like every bar because I, I wasn't like i wasn't sat in front of the computer that much like you know maybe about half the time just checking if things fit over the beats but a lot of it was written just walking around the city walking around the town and like walking up and down the mountains because there's a lot of mountains there nice and it's like literally like all of the like all of the bars on the whole album i can be like oh yeah i just eaten like some tacos at this spot and I was climbing up the steps to the big church and then like that's when I thought of that four bar and like oh yeah and then like every time I get a bit more stuck I just walk up this hench mountain uh more outside of the city it takes about like hour two hours to get up like an hour and a half hour to get back down and I'd just be like I just write like half the second verse in my head on the way back down so it's like this album is mad special because 
if every every lyric I was writing, even if it's the most fucked up lyric about just some like dark, like cold, like London shit, it's like I remember I was like walking down some beautiful like mountain slope on like when I wrote this bar, and like, I have very very clear memories tied to it. Like with a lot of my previous albums and shit, like you know I can remember like oh I was in this town when I wrote this, so I was, but like the actual specifics, like the the bar for bar specifics. They're all just kind of lost, but on this album, like, I I remember everything like crystal clear. It's crazy. Do you have a favorite memory putting together this project? Single favorite um, memory. I mean that that tune, the infamous Gatwick meltdown of two thousand sixteen. That's a, that's a song I've wanted to write for a while. Because also when I was in um when I was in um. Uh, when I was in San Cristobal, I also wrote a lot of the backstory of what that song is based on into a kind of short novel, which might see the light of day at some point. So Don't. that was very present, but I wanted to put it into like song song format, but I wasn't like, I didn't really, and I had the beat from Lenkem's, who actually knows about a lot of like the the experiences that that song was based on. So it was real fitting that he made the beat. And I just had one day well, I was like, I don't feel like writing this song like in my house, like uh, in front of the computer. I was like, I need to go on like, just need to go on a hench walk for this one. And so like, um, you know, not in a kind of like, not like, oh, I need to go on a spiritual request, a spiritual quest and sit in the lotus position on top of a mountain and the song will like beam to me from the heavens. It was more just like, no, nah, I just need to go for a like. Shoot the scenery, walk. right. Exactly, exactly. And so I just went on like the long way round, went like up and down this this mountain, and I and then the bulk of that entire song. It's rare for me that the bulk of a whole song comes together in a single day. It's like normally I, I'll get a bunch of ideas. They'll they'll like they'll kind of condense over a couple of days, and then everything will come together. But this one, I went by the time I got back to my house, it was a very like um. <clears throat> Like the that subject had to be done right as well because it's a very like intense, powerful memories for me and it's one of the few songs on there that's kind of like they're about some very I mean they're all about very real things but this was a very this was like two or three very very real experiences for me, very much um some of the most powerful in my life so they needed to be dealt with right, and for me to yeah to be able to write that whole song, most of it in just like one big long like walk around these mountains like having the most beautiful day right. but writing about some of the darkest things when i finally got back and just wrote it all down and it all fit on beat and just ran nicely i was like i'm yeah, i'm doing something right here you know can you speak to those experiences specifically because like you said we are talking about a complex song for you and you know in in the case of the listeners a very layered song can you talk about some of those bars specifically and break down the science behind some of those lines yeah man yeah i can talk about some of it like i said i've written um i've written the, the best part of a kind of, of of a novel which will come out at some point the first half is based on the a very real experience the second half of the novel is what i based the title track fetch the poison on which is this crazy like hospital waiting room but the um basically in gatwick in 2016 i was guys flying to thailand to record touching scenes with chemo and um i very much i almost didn't get on that plane that album didn't almost didn't happen um it was like you know I've pushed myself I've pushed myself to the brink of madness a few times in my life you know but I always know 
where reality is and I always know where I am at and I always know what's what's happened more or less and just this one time yeah I was like I, I was coming off the back of a, like a very very crazy festival season I played a lot of festivals I haven't been sleeping much I've been on the wave like a whole whole lot and I basically um went to the airport like thinking I was kind of invincible in a way after having not really slept for over 72 hours and also just on a, on a cocktail of like incredibly strong intoxicants I made a few very wrong decisions on the way to the airport and then basically when I got into the airport which is like this sudden crazy change of scenery like uh the whole reality just slipped away from me completely I was I, I was just in an entirely different world which I was at the center of every single person there was like uh, like an actor I knew their role I knew what they were doing I knew their motivation I knew why they were there and um it was like the first experience of just um well I mean I guess you call it I don't know paranoid psychosis something like that mm. I don't know but like um <clears throat> but it was uh yeah, it was insane. I like, um, I created an entirely new reality. I created this entire world in an instant in my head that I didn't want to be in, but that I was like the protagonist of. And um, it was like uh, an incredibly like kind of dark earth shattering moment because like, um, you know, the, what I thought was happening in my head was 100% not happening in reality and normally like I quite like to push myself out to those levels and kind of like imagine like all the what ifs and the kind of like create these weird narratives but just for jokes but like in my head but knowing like knowing firmly you know one foot firmly in in reality but this time it's just I was in a whole different world it was crazy um but yeah I mean I went to Thailand I made the album um, there's a lot of very, very specific, very crazy details to that story that um, that you'll find in that book when it, if if it does come out, which I hope it does. And um, and uh, yeah, since then I've had a couple of echoes of that of that strange alternate reality. I've just dipped my toe in it a couple of times and been like, oh shit, this is like this is 2000, this is Gatwick 2016. Like, don't watch it, it's fine. Hmm. And Kind of like you know, I turned a little key in my head. You know, it kind of uh, it was like I I very much kind of like fell apart in a few hours and kind of like went and then woke up in Dubai and was like, what the fuck happened? I mean, like you know, no one got fuck, no one got hurt. I'm not a fucking violent person. No one got arrested. No crazy shit happened. It was just internal. It was my head. It was what I thought was happening. You know calling people off your phone to like kind of try and gauge whether they're real or like they're uh, a, a like weird like simulation you know it's like uh it's very very powerful and I think like you know a lot of people have been through things like that especially like people that live a certain kind of lifestyle and I think a lot of people don't really like talk about it because it makes them seem kind of like crazy but it's a very very acute thing that can just happen under like with these weird kind of like it's weird combination of triggers uh, you can it's just so you can just get put into this whole next place and uh 
yeah so that's what i was kind of basically like that song is basically just like a little sprinkling like that's just kind of like some of the imagery that comes alongside that and and like and based on real experiences from inside and outside the airport but it's just this it's quite an abstract like kind of uh you know run down to the whole shit but like this is it goes a lot deeper me, i can imagine you, you talked about a couple of minutes ago you talked about turning that key has it been hard locking that chapter and therapeutic ending that chapter with this book you're talking about um well it's definitely like it's definitely therapeutic writing about shit in general in life is fucking therapeutic to to write about right the things that happen in your life and actually like crystallize them and like once you kind of perfectly describe something grim that's happened to you or or anything like you don't have to think about it anymore you know if you've perfectly written down exactly how exactly how something made you feel and, and exactly how something in something worked with the exact words that you want to say then you don't have to think about it because you're like well that 16 has everything that i've ever wanted to say about that on it and like um and yeah, I mean, in terms of the actual experience itself, just kind of like, it just uh, just kind of woke me up a little bit mm-hmm. to um, to to some of the some of the patterns that I was on, and also, um, I'm now very very aware of the combination of factors, like the triggers, like the combination of things that can mm-hmm. that can um, be the be the genesis of like of of an experience like that that can just plant the seed that will end up like rapidly growing into something very ugly so i kind of um you know when when i was in my early 20s like i didn't give a fuck like i'd do anything like you know i would um i'd do any cocktail of whatever and get myself into any weird situation jump on a plane jump off the plane whatever and then kind of you know as you as you mature and uh you've got bigger things that you want to do in life and you can't really do those things um you know those i feel like those kind of experiences unless you uh preempt them are kind of an inevitability in a way especially if you're someone that likes to kind of think in an abstract way and that kind of you know is predisposed to a little bit of the weirdness you know so yeah how do you strike a balance between fiction and non-fiction as seamlessly as you do with the themes in these songs well the thing is like like None of it is fiction, really. I mean, actually, no. Fetch the poison. That's a, that's a, that's a straight up story. And like, you know, a couple of the others have more fictional elements. But everything that um, everything that I talk about is all based on like things that have really happened, like shit that's I've really lived through. And like, you know, and uh, I just like it would just be very boring to just like um talk about them in a kind of mundane and factual way. So like. If you add in a kind of whole layer, this whole like metaphorical layer over the top of it, and just like you know, you, you take the experiences and you kind of twist them and warp them. So there's they're like you know they are very much there's a real experience, there's some real shit at the center of it. But if you take it and twist it and warp it around and shit, then then it becomes a lot more interesting, not only to write but to listen to as well. I think and um, uh, yeah, so. I mean, I'd say I, I, I like to keep myself firmly writing about the non-fiction, about the real shit. Like, I don't, it's rare that I'll get myself fully sucked into a kind of story tune, but I like to insert different characters that might be based on five different people I know, and like kind of insert different little 
little things like little recurring things and little recurring images that are just genuine things that just occur to me when these things happen I'm just like just kind of uh if you just you know as if you kind of uh yeah add a little bit of uh imagination and kind of twist it and warp it and and make it a little bit more strange yeah. and um then it kind of makes no, I make not only does it make those things like that you're seeing it much easier to digest because you've put your own like kind of you've wrapped it in your own little layer of of whatever. But, um, but it, it also it speaks, it makes for a better song. <laughs> Scream, stay back here and welcome and get with welcome. Captain, pull out the hatchet Scalp that child, rip holes in his fabric Slip that cling film out of the wallet yeah. Flip that switch, number rule psychotic A gurgling drain pipe sounds hypnotic Stain on the pavement becomes iconic The lights dim and the hummingbird whispers The man of all feds and are deeply religious You were there, Damien, this is your sickness Pinhole cameras stitched in your fingers Had some peeled up threesome at Christmas Now I'm in departures, deleting the pictures Frying my face up, eating a witness They're gonna hang you, plead for forgiveness Swinging from a plank in Dubai And these ten-ton sandals Talk to me about making a track as ambitious as Sundown Sundown. Did that track come together as natural as it sounds like it did? Uh, that track actually held back the album by a couple of months. I couldn't send it to press until that was done. But basically, I wrote I wrote the whole album. Like I said, I had the Naito feature before I left. And then so I wrote. And then just before I left San Cristobal, I was like, right, I need one tune, like one big, like, kind of, like posse cut like gang tune and so I wrote like a 24 bar and then just left it open I didn't really have an idea of who to get on it but like um those Brazilians that are on it like if you haven't checked out like you know Costa Gold, Black Alien and Shamar like um they're really really doing big big things in Brazil and like I kind of I had Black Josh on it um from when I got back in August of 2020 Black Josh put a verse on it uh and then sent it to Jess. Jess put a verse on it. And then um I was work I was thinking about how to make it more interesting. And basically I've been to Brazil like twice. The first time I went, I can't remember what year it was, but it's a long time ago, maybe 2013, 2014, just before So came out, I think. I met like um uh I met some rappers out there, this guy Nog that's on that song from a group called Cross the Gold. I met him and he was familiar with like gruesome features because he really does his homework on rap music and he he knew that song. So like that was, and then I met him, made a tune with him and this these other crew called High Kais that never saw the light of day in the end. And then um, went back to, he brought me on stage there. Back then they were playing kind of like four or 500 rooms, like five, 600 rooms kind of thing. But they were just kind of, starting to get a bit of a buzz around them. And then I went back to England for two years and then came back out to Brazil. And by the time I got back out to Brazil, they had gone like so unbelievably clear. Like they, they like really at the forefront of like rap music in Brazil right now. And I met Black Alien, who's like a legendary figure in, in Brazilian hip hop. He was described to me by Nog as like the, the Nas of Brazilian hip hop wow. or, or like, or if you think about 
some of the stories about him and his lifestyle in the past, like the ODB of Brazilian hip hop, kind of a cross between the two, like the, that kind of like legendary status. I met him and like he kind of, we, we got on real well. Um, me and him, and we only met that one time in the studio for a few hours, but we stayed in contact and we were always talking about doing something. So I hit up Nog when I was, uh, after I had the, the, the Josh verses and, and the Jest verse and was like, I'm like, I sent them it. And I was like, I really think it could be mad interesting if you and Black Alien get on this tune because obviously, like, um, for Nog, like, Black Alien is, like, the king of, like, the generation above him in, like, in, in rap music in Brazil. And, like, obviously, Jest is kind of, like, was at the forefront of, like, this whole rap shit, like, a few years before I came up. Yeah. And still is. And... um yeah, so I was like, it could be interesting to get you and Black Alien on this song. And he was like, all right, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So they both did their verses. And then this guy, Shamar, he's like, literally, he was, he's got the number one album in Brazil or did last month. He's on the cover of like Rolling Stone this month. It's fucking crazy. But he basically was in the, he was in the studio with Nog and Black Alien while they were recording their verses. And he was like, what the fuck is this? I need to be on this shit. And I was like, because he's like, he's... He started out just making like just real like just rap shit like that, and um and so like Nog just called me and was just like I'm just in the studio like Shamar's just turned up, he's heard this song, he says he needs to be on it like what's like, what are you saying and I was like yeah fuck yeah man I'm on the song man like you know if he like so yeah it kind of came together in this crazy mad order, and it took a while to get all the stems back. And the publishing sorted out and whatever, but um, but yeah, so that was the most tricky one to piece together. And then obviously we had six verses, so we tried out a few different orders. Like Ghost Town sent back a few different versions, but yeah, we 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 got there and we got there in the end. And it's like a real interesting collab because I really like treasure like some some of the times I spent in Brazil. Like I've went on tour with those guys and it's been like absolute, absolute madness. And I've always been meaning to do something crazy with them. And I feel like this collab was definitely like I don't know. Everyone kinda everyone everyone brought their best shit to that tune, man. It's definitely a chapter for yourself, man. I haven't heard a Baxter song like this before. Mm. Yeah. I mean it's just like it's that kind of like more like rugged ghost town production really but um i feel like kind of that beat just puts you in a certain mode i feel like mm. it's just um yeah it's like it's very very warlike <laughs> it's a very it's a warlike instrumental so um it kind of like you know it like all like i feel like um them brazilian them brazilian heads they they make kind of like quite a lot of like smoother, kind of like, you know, a lot more palatable, like nice music these days, alongside all the rap shit they do out they put out. But then this this that particular beat just puts you in that mode. It's kinda of like, um, yeah. Just gotta get serious on that one. Yeah, it's a different tonality, isn't it? And it's your third time working with Jest. What's it what's it typically like working with Jest? Oh man, the dude is like so quick. Like it's crazy, man. Dude is so fast. Like when uh when we did that tune off Obscure the Cures, uh I can't remember what I called it on the album. In my head it's always called Feet. Oh no, it's called Feet on the album. Yeah, yeah. so um uh 
yeah, we I just had a, a verse on a hook and had the gap, sent it to him, and like that verse was in my inbox like the next morning, like in the morning. Like, I'm never that I'm never that quick. Like, I'll sit on some I'll shit on some shit. It can be like blood out of a stone with me for a while, but dude just fucking fast like, and um, yeah. Doesn't sacrifice, doesn't sacrifice the quality as well. You know that, like, he just sat down and vibed out to it and did his thing, man. Yeah, it's a surprise every time we jest. Mm. Yeah, for real. For real. Nah, he's good at his craft, for real. What about so. the artwork? We talked about it briefly earlier, which blends, like we were saying, this symbolism to express these themes on this album. How does the artwork come about? And what was your intentions with the artwork? Um, yeah, well, I actually... I commissioned the artwork and also uh, got the final painting back while I was still in San Cristobal. So um, I'd written about two thirds of the album and I'd come across Heather Nevey, who's like a um, very talented Scottish painter. Um, just uh, just like, you know, on Instagram, I just so I follow loads of like Instagram accounts of like weird, like surrealist artwork and stuff, come across her stuff. And uh, emailed her, and um, you know, even though she's not from a from a particularly hip hop background or anything, she the the music seemed to seemed to speak to her. She understood it, and she was like, um, she was like, yeah, I've never done an album cover before, and like, you know, I'm, I actually will fuck with what you're doing. And she'd seen the covers that I'd had in the past, you know, the gruesome features cover, the touching scenes cover, where it's like, you know, quite. Um, some quite crazy like surrealist paintwork um on some previous covers and was like yeah I'm, I'm real down to just adding to this adding to this lineage and she kind of she she went about it in a very um just in the way that you would hope really like she i sent her some music and she kind of like listened to some of the some of the other albums got an idea of what it was that I do, and I, you know, took loads of pictures, reference pictures of myself that she could use to paint the kind of portrait that's in the background. And she just kind of listened to the music, marinated on it for a long time, and like kind of, she was like, I need to take a, a lie down in a dark room and like visualize this cover. Mm. And, um, and so she kind of came up with the whole concept. She'd been working with the, these ideas of, shafts of light and kind of strange um kind of hybrids of animals and humans with, with you know human faces that i really i really liked and i was like you can work with all of the current themes you're working with and you can pretty much have artistic license to do anything you want like you know just listen to the music and um and and do what you want really and so and and i'd never really had a, uh, an album cover or anything with like these strong greens on it. Like I've always wanted like these kind of like oranges and reds and kind of purples and like that kind of side of the spectrum. And when she came back with this idea of this kind of, um, this kind of poisonous room where the, the, you know, walls are kind of leaking poison. There's these kind of strange demons in the background and everything. I was just like, this is like, and then, so she, she sent the painting back and she named it, she'd named it Poison. But she was just like, this is just what I've called the painting, obviously. This is not what you need to call the painting, whatever. 
But I'd already written the title track, Fetch the Poison. It was already with the hook, Fetch the Poison, with like, you know, named Fetch the Poison, everything. And um, so that painting combined with like that, that song just kind of fitted so neatly into what I was trying to do with the whole thing that it was just kind of everything just clicked in place. And it's like, all right, well, this album is, is Fetch the Poison then and everything is green and uh, everything is like kind of this weird um yeah bright cartoon poison lime green color i was like fuck i will fuck with this um so yeah that kind of happens pretty naturally i mean by the time i left by the time i left san cristobal i kind of i had i had everything written and i had the whole i had the album cover painted and ready to go and i just recorded the whole thing in blast studios in four sessions when i got back and it was just very very simple. Dragging on a paranoid pasty, hundred ton child that clings to my shoelace. His milk teeth scrape on the floor as an old man bursts in the bar, made mutates. One more fix for a pale blue screw face. White pills cling for a horse's toothache. It would all be simple if I only hurt the people I hate. She walked in with a bloodstained cloth and a little sea salt to season my face. Stuck in the oven at 200. Days of unlimited press, high number. The ravens perched in the back of our skulls and all burst out, swarming the air on encumbers. Same old. She gave that neck the mix of man crazy. Whose idea was it for the cassette copies of this album to come with a magnifying glass? <laughs> that was um, that was Lee's idea actually, because when I was talking to him about putting the album out, um, he was like, "Yeah, we should do a gatefold vinyl," and because I'd been writing a lot of short stories in San Cristobal at the time, he was kind of like you should write like a story that like that goes with the album as like an accompaniment and we'll put it on the gatefold of the vinyl like you open the vinyl up and you can just read it like a book and I was like okay I fuck with that um and so I wrote this story the story kind of spiraled out of control got longer than I thought it was it was going to be and then when we were doing the cassettes it was like like uh, I was like Bro, I've like, you know, we can only do like a, a fold out cassette that's like 10 panels each side or whatever it is. Right. And I was like, we need to fit this fucking story. We need to fit this story on there somehow. And uh, it's going to be like Amanda who does all the graphic design stuff. And he's like, this is going to be too small to read with like the naked eye. <laughs> so I, I brought it out to Lee and instead of being like, all right, well, like, we'll, we'll have to sack it off then for the cassette. He just sent me a picture of just a magnifying glass and was like, this is a magnifying glass. Uh, if we get, like, if we get 500 um, branded bespoke magnifying glasses, then that won't be an issue. So you have to, yeah, with the cassette, you have to read the story with the magnifying glass. But luckily, it comes with a magnifying glass, so it's all good. I love that. I love that. Are there any copies of the vinyl left? Not that many left. They haven't landed yet. They're going to land in the middle of the month, in February, I think. And um, uh, I think there might be like 20 cassettes left or something. There's not much left of anything. We might repress the vinyl, we'll see, but 
you know, it takes so long to get vinyl these days. Brexit and all that is fucked yeah, up. But, um, crazy, crazy. But crazy. yeah, there's, there's, there's a few, there's, there's some, some, some vinyl left uh, and a few cassettes left. Got a UK tour coming up. What's going on with the UK tour? I know you're touching down here in Cardiff. When is that? Yeah, for real. Yeah, no, I'm, um, yeah, I've got 10 dates and it literally marks, it literally marks two months almost to the date. That I haven't played in the UK. No, not two months. Two years. Wow. Two years. I in uh left in February 2020 after the Off Peace tour. Now it's February 2022. These are my next shows. The only shows I played in between then and now are five shows in Colombia, which was crazy. But um, yeah. So that's duration of February. I think we played it all right because when I was about to come back, I was like things seem to start hotting up again with this next variant or whatever, and I thought it might all get called off, but it seem, it's all happening. It all seems to be going ahead. The Cardiff date has opened up again now because you didn't have the nightclubs for a little while. Now you're open up, opened up again. And, yeah, it's going to be wild, man. I'm going to be linking with Sammy quite a lot over the next week and getting this set together. I can't wait to play, like, this new shit. And, obviously, I haven't even toured at all since Obscure the Cures came out with some guy. So I can I can get I get the chance to play that shit live as well, and uh, I just I've missed it, man. I'm not gonna lie, yeah. For the first year, when I was writing this album and everything got cancelled and I stayed in Mexico and whatever, I was like, you know what? I don't miss this at all. Like I could do with like a little break from going wild and playing live in the UK and whatever. And then this time around, like this year, I fucking miss it, man. I can't wait. I'm gonna go crazy. It's gonna be sick. Set relics in my luggage in the hole 20,000 miles from the villains we revered You've been pulling faces from the minute we appeared Stay behind the curtain there, the kid's a little weird With a sort of giant parasite sitting in his beard The candles flicker, pick apart your dinner Lemon pepper face with the little shards of mirror Tell me who's to blame for you, pick a father figure Checking every news channel, killer after killer The lady wants a my time, man's a bloody Mary She just had a seizure, that was fucking scary Scuttled through the winter and survived the summer barely But I will leave the city if you children double dare me I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh oh. You're wrong. (laughs) Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My peoples, are you with me where you at?